Danny, we're going to miss you, you and Stephanie. God's blessings with you, brother. Okay? Awesome. Awesome. That was so cool. That was really fun. Really fun. Wow. Got our energy up, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, well, he's going to come back at the end, and we're going to sing a, we'll change it to Nashville, Nashville Two-Step Amazing Grace as we leave today, and just have a lot of fun together uh, as we do that. So just welcome, glad you're here today as we continue in our series. We're going through uh, a series that we call it Babylon, as we're going through uh, the book of Daniel this summer, and uh, God's been really moving in our church as we've done this together. Just love what he's doing uh, last week, we talked about the uh, whole idea of pride, and uh, I just really appreciate your feedback from last week. One person told me it was the most challenging message they've ever heard me do, as we talked about pride last week, and I have to be careful not to be too prideful about that uh, as we look at this, but uh, I just want to encourage you, if you weren't here, I did do what I said, so okay, in my email blast last week, I sent you the link where you can go out and listen to Tim Keller's talk on the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And so if you want to do that, just go home today, pull it out of the trash can where you put it, back up, and you can get it out, and you can listen to that and uh, follow along. He did a great job talking about this whole idea of self-esteem that I just kind of breezed by last week uh, as we looked at it. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about purpose. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 5. So grab your Bible, open it to Daniel chapter 5, and you can follow along. I just, I'm just going to be a place today where I'm actually going to want you to write in your Bible and uh, get this verse down that we're going to look at. If you didn't bring a Bible, every time you come in the doors, just grab one. Love to see you uh, have one. Use it while you're here. If you don't own a Bible, you can take it with you. Uh, and it would be our gift to you because we just love to see you have a Bible in your home as well. Now, it's always amazing to me when I'm uh, studying the Bible or in, you know, out and I listen to something and I hear an idiom... And I know that that idiom came directly from the Bible. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at one from Daniel chapter 2, feet of clay. You guys heard that phrase, feet of clay? Uh, well, kind of what that means is, it commonly refers to a weakness or a character flaw, especially in people of prominence. That you kind of wanted to you know, make them seem human, so they have feet of clay, they're just like us, they're going to fail, or they're going to stumble in some way. Um, and today we're going to focus on another idiom. It's from Daniel chapter 5, and here's the idiom. The handwriting is on the wall. The handwriting, you guys heard that? Handwriting, sure we have. And it generally means that the future is predetermined, and it generally implies that something bad's about to happen, right? Something bad's about, the handwriting's on the wall, you missed it, it's about to fall, and it's going to be difficult for you. So what we're going to do as we jump into chapter 5 is we're taking a huge leap from where we were last Sunday when we closed the book on chapter 4. In fact, this story that we're looking at today happened somewhere around 30 years after we closed chapter 4 last week. The date, we know this because historians recorded the date, the fall of Babylon. So we know the date exactly. It's October 12th, 539 B.C., the place is the royal palace of Babylon, and Daniel is now somewhere around 80 to 82 years old, okay? So that the exile's been in place for 65 years. Daniel um, it was taken into captivity when he was about, you know, 15, maybe 14. So somewhere around, around 80 years of age. It's been 23 years since King Nebuchadnezzar died. 
And so we looked at Nebuchadnezzar last week. So it was 30 years uh, that has gone by, 23 years since he died. That means Nebuchadnezzar lived for seven more years after he came to last week and sang his hymn of praise to God, that God was God, and he wasn't. And uh, a series of bizarre events, uh, the throne has been passed several times from Nebuchadnezzar to now resides with Belshazzar. All kinds of intrigue, uh, you know, insurrection, uh, things that were going on inside. Some folks, you know, lots of murder, that kind of thing has been passed down to where now we have Belshazzar as the king. So what's going on is we have another world power that's coming into play. And so Babylon, ruler of the world, greatest, you know, the, one of the uh, seven wonders of the world in Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar built. It's rising into power, and they have a king. His name is Cyrus, and he's on a, a major campaign to make his kingdom the number one kingdom in the world. He's going to take world power status, okay? So just a few weeks... Before the story we're going to look at today, some scholars may even say a few days before the story we're going to look at today, the armies of the Medes and the Persians and Cyrus, they had a war, a battle with the armies of Babylon, and the armies of Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians, kicked the Babylonians' butts, okay? They won, and so now they've gone to Babylon, and they're going to take the city, and they've get, they're going to put themselves around the city, and it's going to take them, and they're going to put it under a siege. And so what they did was they brought their armies, and they put them, you know, the, the city of Babylon was a rectangle, and they put their armies on two sides. And the two sides were where the Euphrates River ran in, and the Euphrates River ran out of the city. And it appears that they're going to set themselves up now for this long siege. That's the way they did war and the way they did battles in this time. And that they're going to do this. And in the face of what looks like imminent defeat and possibly even death, Belshazzar throws a party. He throws a party. Now, it could have been his way of denying reality, right? Uh, that he was just going to say, I'm going to put my head in the sand and I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend that nothing's going on. It could have been what he was doing. It could have been that what he was trying to do is he was trying to make those who were underneath him so comfortable, in this case, get them so drunk that they wouldn't be able to have a coup against him and so that they wouldn't hand over Babylon to Cyrus as well. It could have been that one of the reasons he was doing. It could have been, though, that he was so full of pride that he couldn't concede the possibility that anyone could ever defeat them. See, part of what gave him that sense of pride was the same thing that gave Nebuchadnezzar the sense of pride last week that we talked about, and that is this city and the walls that they had and how it was protected. Remember last week we talked about this? It was either 16 or 20 miles in circumference, uh, that it had dual walls, and the external wall was wide enough that a chariot could have horses four across race around. That's how wide it was, how thick it was, so it was impenetrable. And then you got past, there was another wall on the inside of that one as well. And then they had this elaborate system in place where they could actually use the Euphrates River to flood between the two walls in case anyone ever got between the two walls and actually killed them as well. So that made it impenetrable. Plus, having been built on the Euphrates River, So the river runs right under the walls and runs through the city and then out. They had an unlimited water supply. If you live in California, we understand this, right? Unlimited fresh water supply. And then get this. 
they had enough food to last for 20 years. Enough food to last for 20 years. So 20 years of food, unlimited fresh water, and walls that seemed impenetrable. And it would look, you look at that city, it would seem like there's absolutely no possibility of defeat. And he had this confidence, and which had turned into an arrogance. We talked about that last week. Arrogant pride, the pride that comes before a fall. That's what was going on. And, and it was pride in his city. So either an act of denial or an act of defiance or simply an act of a deranged man, he throws a party. Let's read what happens. Verse 1. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, notice this, They praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let's just pause there a minute before we read the rest. So in his arrogance and his pride and in total disdain and disrespect for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Judah, the God who had split the Red Sea, In arrogance, he takes the items that have been taken from the temple in Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about that in the very first week when they took the items out of the temple. And it was his way of saying, my God's bigger than your God. You know, kind of guy thing. My God's bigger than your God. And so he took the items from the temple in an act of complete defiance. He took them and he drank toast to his gods, which were... Uh, with the items that were dedicated to only be used to worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the Lord Almighty. And the wine was flowing, and it was a sensual environment in all ways. When it says that he brought his wives and his concubines, that wasn't typical of parties in this day. Uh, He might have had his wife at the party, but he wouldn't have had his wives at the party, and he definitely wouldn't have brought his concubines to the party unless he had one thing in mind. And that that was, he was going to have a party that was so sensual in nature that everyone would get lost in reality and what was going on. He created an orgy, orgy of drink, food, free sex. And that's what's happening right now as we're reading these verses. In the middle of all that then, he's get this idea. He goes, hey, you know what? I really want to declare to everyone that I'm in charge. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go get the goblets that we took from the God of Israel. And we're going to drink them and we're going to use them to toast our gods, gods of wood and stone and iron and metal, and that we're going to show that we don't... That, We are above everyone and everything. And at that moment, a hand appears out of nowhere. And let's read what happened. Suddenly, though, I saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. I'm thinking of Barney Fife here, okay? 
Wendy, <laughs> that kind of thing. Belshazzar, what he did is he calls in his magic- magicians and his sorcerers, and they can't interpret it. By the way, he's that scared and he can't even read what it says. He's just scared that it happened, okay? They can't interpret it. Remember Daniel 2? They couldn't interpret then. He wasn't in Daniel 2, so he's thinking he's going to go back to his same, you know, wise folks. They couldn't do it. But what happens is, is that we have, they call the queen mother, and, um, you know, there's some confusion about who Belshazzar actually was, and uh, there's all kinds of theories. Well, one theory is that he's the great, he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and going along with that theory would be that the queen mother here would be the wife of Nebuchadnezzar who had walked through the whole ordeal with Nebuchadnezzar and then with Daniel and the whole pride deal. And she says, hey, there's someone in the kingdom who can interpret this, and his name is Daniel. Now, you got to know, Daniel's been in captivity in exile for 65 years. He's 82, 80, 82, as I said, and he has established himself with a reputation that he was a person of wisdom, of character, integrity, and could hear from a God who was bigger than any God. And so they called Daniel, and they asked him to come in. And so, hey, by the way, what happened next week, what we're going to do is we look at Daniel 6, we're going to look at the keys to his success Really, I'm going to say the secret of his success, that he was able to be a man of purpose and stand strong after 65 years of being in captivity in a foreign land. So once again, Daniel's been put in a hard place. Chapter 2, chapter uh, 4, and chapter 5, all places where Daniel's been asked to speak, and he's put in between a rock and a hard place, actually, because he has to give the bad news. And here's the bad news, verse 17. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts. He had offered him gifts when he could interpret this. Then he says this, keep your gifts or give them to someone else, but I will tell what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, and he's you know, telling the story, but he's also pointing the finger at this point, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until he learned that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, and yet you have not humbled yourself So God has sent his hand to write this message. Now, we're going to leave that on the screen, and I want you to take your Bible or take your notes, and I want you to pull them up, and I want you to look at that last line. I want you to underline this. And you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. And that's the bottom line of what we're talking about today. And I just want to say today that let's take it into our world. What do you know? What has God spoken to you in the past? How has he pricked your conscience? Where is he guided? How is he called? And you know, and you've not been willing to humble yourself. And I'm going to say today that God is calling every one of us to pull ourselves to a place that we lay ourselves in humility before him. And basically say, God, I will do 
as you say. So what was Belshazzar's ultimate sin? I mean, I could make the message today about alcohol. I could make it about sex. I could make it about all kinds of things that were going on. But what was his sin that caused him to, led him to the other sins that he was committing at this moment? It was the sin we talked about last week, the sin of pride. Arrogant pride. Belshazzar had still not reached a place where he was willing to stand up and say, I am not God. I am not God. And it cost him his life and his kingdom. So since we're talking about purpose today, what I did is I went through this story and I said, okay, what, what are some ways, what are some things that are attitudes that Belshazzar had that caused him to miss what would I would say God's purpose for his life that you and I can learn from as well? And I came up with four, okay? I'm going to write these down as we go through this. First, I will miss, based on what Belshazzar did, I will miss God's purpose when I make my life all about image. When I make it all about image. So what we've learned from Belshazzar now is he was more concerned with what other people thought than reality. More concerned with what other people thought. And so he, was, he said, it's, my image is most important and I will do anything to maintain my image, even if I'm crumbling on the inside, even if things are falling apart. I don't want anyone else to be able to know or see. He was denying reality, denying reality. And so we get ourselves in the same place when, for us, image is more important than reality. And so I just want to ask you today, what is it that you are covering up? What is it that you're denying? Uh, what is it that you know that is causing harm in your life, but you're so concerned about image that you won't admit it and step forward to get help in some way. And when we do that, it's going to cause us to miss God's purpose. Second is this. I'll miss his purpose when I make my life about pleasure. When I make my life about pleasure. See, for Belshazzar, life was about elaborate, decadent, sensual parties and unlimited consumption. And unlimited consumption. Live and party like there's no tomorrow. Hey, you only live once. Go for the gusto, right? Go for the gusto. That was the same mindset kind of I heard uh, on Friday. Uh, I was able to take my wife and my daughter, and we were going to go buy my daughter a pair of shoes. And uh, one thing I've learned about shopping with my daughter is my job is to keep my mouth shut and pay. Okay, so I'm sitting there waiting for my moment, right? And so I'm waiting for my moment, and I was listening, and the the music was playing in the store, and and I was listening to this guy, and he was singing, and it was very soothing voice, and a very soothing orchestra, you know, instrumentation behind him. And here are the lyrics. Now, I didn't get them, uh, I, I don't think I have them directly correct as they came. I'm 57. And it's hard for me to remember what I did yesterday, let alone lyrics from Friday. But I got them close, okay? So here we go. It was kind of like this. He was singing, and I heard this come across the sound system. Here we are. Let's go ahead and make love. Let the happiness begin. And that was the philosophy that this guy was singing about. It's the same philosophy that was going on in Babylon. Let the happiness begin. We're going to give in to our sensuality and we're going to do anything that we want because it feels good. Because it feels good. And I'll just say this, folks. 
I want you to encourage you. Go back to the very first week in the Good Life series where I defined pleasure and happiness. Listen to that talk because we get clear about what culture says is pleasure and then what God says is pleasure in that talk. You might want to go back and just listen to that so you can be fresh. But I'm going to miss God's purpose when I give myself to pleasure. Third is this. I will miss God's purpose when I make my life about achievement, about achievement. Now, Belshazzar's life was about all that they had achieved, all that they had done. It was all about their stamp of, you know, awesomeness that they had. It was all about the history of Babylon. It was all about their efforts. It was about, all about their accomplish, accomplishments. It was all about conquest, all about achievement. It was all about being creative and being better than others. And so I can establish my worth when I know that what I've done is better than other people, better than someone else. I'm so creative, I'm so awesome, I'm so wise, I'm so strong, I have so many things at my disposal I can use. And what I'm gonna do is I'm going to gain my worth and value through my achievement, through my achievement. Now, I forgot this quote last week and I I thought it really fit today, so I'm gonna use it this week. Uh, And it fits right here very well. And here it is. It's okay to consider yourself better at something than others. It's never okay to consider yourself better than others. Better than others. But what they had done is they'd taken their accomplishments and they'd let them say, not only am I better at, I'm better than anyone else, and I'm going to prove it by my accomplishments and what I do. And so when we make our achievements and our measurements and our accomplishments uh, more important than anything else in life, we are going to miss our purpose. And then the last one is this. I miss my purpose when I make it all about me, when I make it all about me. How many of you have read the Purpose Driven Life book by Rick Warren? And it's been around for a long time. I know he's actually written another one like Purpose Driven Life 2 or something like that. And actually, it's just a rewrite of the first one where he gets more clarity in the book. But if you'll remember in that book, I, I love the first sentence. It begins like this. Life's not, a, it's not about, as many of you have read it. It's not about you. It's not about me. And the rest of the book reminds us that we are not living for ourselves, but we are living for this great, big Awesome, mighty, creative, holy, righteous, and by now we should be on our face because he's so awesome. I get to live my life for that God and with that God, and he calls the shots. And Belshazzar did not get to that place. He lived through the philosophy, it's my life, and I'm going to do what I please and what I think is right with my life. And when we live our lives for me and myself and my and my stuff, we are going to miss out on God's purpose for our lives, okay? Okay, so with that, we kind of help know how we can miss our purpose. And now what I want to do is I want to go into the rest of the story as Daniel interprets the handwriting on the wall. And I'm going to use that to talk about how we can find God's purpose or experience it, okay? So here we go. Verse 25. This is the message that was written, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. And here's what these words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You've been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was, by the way, he had promised him, you know, gold and silver and to be third in the command. 
of the nation. So he did that. Then it, he was, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Before I read the rest, isn't that just kind of astounding to you? Your days are numbered. You've been weighed and you don't measure up. And by the way, by the end of the day, you're losing everything you have. Okay, here, here, have a robe. <laughs> I just can't imagine how clueless he was. It shows you what happens when we are ruled by the philosophy of Babylon. I didn't say this in the beginning. I got to say it now, okay? When we started our series, I started on the first week, and I said Babylon is real. It's a place in history. But Babylon is also an analogy or a metaphor for the world we live in today. And so... With that kind of thinking, you might think that every week I would get up here and say, Babylon is culture, culture is bad, God is good, we love God, so we're good and culture is bad. You'd expect me to do that, right? Every week, because that's kind of the way it is. Here's what I discovered this week. This is what God showed me this week, and maybe it might speak to you through this as well. Babylon is inside of me. I have Christ inside of me. But the philosophy of Babylon is inside of me. Until I get to the place where I'm willing to admit that I am as capable of doing anything that Belshazzar did in my life. And that except for the grace of God, I would be. But because of the grace of God, because of the love of God, I've chosen a different path and a different purpose. And so I want us to remember that, that we can make fun of Belshazzar, but Babylon is inside every one of us. And it goes on and says this. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede, and we're not sure who Darius was, but he was probably like Cyrus's, one of his you know, second or third in command. And he put him command over the kingdom at the age of 62. And Darius will come into play next week. So... The writing on the wall helps us to know how to live God's purpose. And I'm going to give you three ideas, and they come from the three phrases, numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. And these could be written on my wall the same as they were written on the wall in Belshazzar's you know, party room that day. And I'll just say that if we will apply these truths... We can move ourselves in the direction of experiencing a full and meaningful and rich life. But I want to say a word of warning. If we ignore these words, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and discouragement and regret, possibly even loss of everything we love and own. Three ideas. First, if I'm going to live for God's purpose, I must live with a sense of urgency. Of urgency. Numbered, numbered. And the warning here, folks, is that my time is limited. My time is limited. The same is true for you as it is for me. Our time is limited. The Bible talks about this a lot. Look at this verse from Psalm 39.4. Lord, remind me how brief my time here on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You might just underline that, how fleeting my life is. Our lives are numbered. Now, average American will live about 25,500 days. Now, when I say that, that sounds like a lot of days, doesn't it? 
25,500 days. But I'm telling you, at 57, that number's not big enough. That's all I say. That number's not big enough. It isn't that much. And I was, you know, talking, you know, trying to, you know, talk to my 20-year-old about this and just, you know, you know, I can get all amped up about, you know, how he's living his life and how he needs to get serious right now. And, and I just remember what I was like at 20 and I shut my mouth. <laughs> it goes by super fast. Here's the deal. Every 24 hours you spend a day. Every 24 hours you cash in a day. Every 24 hours, you lose a day. You can't bank days. You can't save days. You can't put away days for retirement. You can't put away days for a rainy day. You can only make use of the one and only day you've been given. The one and only day you've been given. So instead of living like there's no tomorrow, live like what you do today actually matters. So instead of you know going, going through life, just kind of going through the flow, find a direction, listen to God, and then make every day count in some way toward that direction so that we live for that which lasts for eternity. It's liberating. You know, you think it might be kind of depressing, and sometimes I feel it is when I think about the limit of the days that I have left, but it's actually liberating to know that every day I can live for a purpose greater than myself. It helps you appreciate life. It helps you uh, clarify life. It helps you to savor life in every moment. And you become more intentional in the things you do right now. Okay, so that's the first one is that live with a sense of urgency. Second is this. I need to live with a sense of responsibility. Responsibility. And he wrote the word wade. Wade. And this is the warning Here's the warning, kind of funny, okay? We should read this on cartons of cereal. Contents may uh, weigh less than they appear, or there's less than you thought was in here when you open it up, right? And look inside. And what happens is, when I realize that my time is limited, I'm going to want to make the most of every day. When I take seriously that God has given us all we have, all we have to manage and steward for him, then, and he's God, and I'm not, and he's calling the shots, and I'm going to want to live responsibly with the things that he's given me and the life he's given me. I'm going to want to fully engage with my time and my talents and my treasures that he's given me. You guys heard of the play, The Death of a Salesman? You know, that's a pretty popular play in its day. Arthur Miller, Willie Loman is the character in that, and he's being buried following his suicide. So at his graveside, after his suicide, his wife calls out, Why? Why? Why did you do it, Willie? Why did you do it? And at that point, son, Biff, speaks up and says, Oh, shucks, mama. Oh, shucks. He had all the wrong dreams. And that's what happens to us in life, folks. If we move forward pursuing the wrong dreams, when we get to the end, we'll find that it's weightless. It's not weighed in a way that would show my life had the value that God intended it to have and that you want it to have as well. Pursuing the wrong dreams will leave you empty. So he wants us to live with responsibility. Now look at these verses from Galatians. It's kind of think it'll help us you know, understand this a little bit uh, about living responsibly. Here's what it says. Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You might just underline that. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we have here the law of sowing and reaping. Now, I want you to write three phrases down. So open your notes up on the inside through the homework section and find some blank space there. I'm going to ask you to write these three phrases down. So chew on this about living responsibly. The law of sowing and reaping. Here it is. First phrase. You always reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. If you don't sow it, you don't reap it, okay? So, I'm, you know, we're, at, we're in our first year of having a garden. It's been my wife's dream to have a garden of her home for 23 years, and so she made it happen, okay? She did a great job, made it happen, has a garden. And so uh, we had this pile of dirt down there, and the only way that something grew in the pile of dirt that she had to go down in what? Sow. She had to plant these little plants. Second idea is this. You always reap more than you sow, right? When you plant a plant, you always reap more than you sow. So she, you know, I remember when she planted her garden, and she was so proud of her rose and her little irrigation system. Now, we're not using water, but really, we have an irrigation system. And so she was able to, and I looked down from the deck, way down in the bottom of our hill, and there's a little bitty plant sticking up like this. And she was so proud of that garden at that place. And now it is a jungle. It's a jungle down there. And there are plants that are on this high, and there's zucchinis sprouting out everywhere, and tomatoes, and all kinds of stuff. You always reap more than you sow. Just remember that in life. Number three, you always reap later than you sow. We want it now, don't we? Instant gratification, instant fulfillment. You always reap later than you sow. When she planted those tomato plants, we didn't have tomatoes the next day. And we've been waiting, waiting for those little tomatoes to come on. Then they turn green. And then they're getting red. And if I could just get Jordan to quit picking them before they're ripe, we'd be great. But they get close to red. And she brings them to the house. Okay, we're ready to go. But you always reap later than you sow. And folks, I just want to say, God calls you to live responsibly with what he's given you. The law of sowing and reaping. Last is this, close with this. I can live for God's purpose when I live with a sense of sobriety. I'm not saying that we have to be serious all the time. I'm not saying that we have to be glum and gloomy and depressing and eeors about life. But I am saying that we need to take what God says seriously. Seriously. Divided is the word. And here's the deal. Here's the sobering truth today. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of judgment. Now, both Nebuchadnezzar that we looked at last week and Belshazzar, both of them in their stories came to the day of reckoning. And with both of them, God had been patient. God had been waiting. But what we need to hear today, because some of us believe that God is a God of grace only, is we need to hear today that for every one of us, there will be a day of accounting. And for both of these leaders, the day of accounting was very costly because they were weighed light. They were weighed light. 
And therefore, we must live soberly, understanding that that day is coming for every man and woman, for me, for my loved ones, for my family, for my city, for my country. That day is coming. Look what Peter says. He's talking about trying to understand, wrap our brains around this whole idea that we must live soberly. He says this, humble, first idea, humble yourself. That's the, that's the first thing we have to do is we have to say, God is God and I'm not. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. We're wanting to be exalted, so we're trying to do it and earn it, like we said earlier ourselves. He may exhaust you, exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's the deal. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in context with the message today, what, he's, what this would mean here is he's seeking anyone he can to distract from what is most important to God. Most important to God. And God calls us to live for what's most important to him. And we need to realize there will be a day of judgment and a day of accounting for what we did with the life God gave us, with the days, how many ever those happen to be that we received. So Belshazzar, his judgment was he lost his life that night. So do you want to know the kind of the rest of the story, how it ends, how he actually lost his life? Well, here's what we know from history. The Medes and Persians as they put their armies at both ends of the city where the Euphrates River came in and the Euphrates River came out, they put their troops there in disguise that they were see- it was a siege. But in reality, they had another plan that they were working out. So the, you know, the Babylonians thought it's going to be a siege. We've got lots of time, no rush, no hurry, no urgency. I don't have to live responsibly. I can have parties. I don't have to live soberly. I can just be drunk. I can go on and do my own thing because they're just out there in the siege, and we've got 20 years worth of food. We've got all the water we need. We've got impenetrable walls. Nothing can happen. And what we know from history is here what was going, what was going on. Cyrus was a really wise leader. Upstream, he had sent all of his engineers and all of his laborers and all of his servants, and they had concocted this plan where they were going to divert the mighty Euphrates River off course, and all the water would go out into a swamp, the swampland that was there, that had been there before time began. All this swampland, they were going to send this water out of there. And what would happen is, is that the river would dry up and that they would then take the city. And that's exactly what happened on the night that Belshazzar was having his party, is that this was the day. He had no idea it was coming this day. It came this day. He's having his party. And he, they diverted the water. The water went down. Historians tell us that the Medes and Persians literally walked underneath the wall and more than likely took the great city of Babylon without a single blood being shed, without a single person dying. Wow. It's amazing. Now what we know, see, God foretold what was going to happen. Daniel chapter 2. Remember, Mark Hadley did a great job talking about the statue. And that uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. And the top of the statue, the head was going to topple, and the head represented Babylon. And right now, that is coming true. On this night, it happened, and Babylon fell, and the Persians and kingdom, uh, Medes, became the rulers of the land. And I'll just say today, folks, Belshazzar had a choice, and we have a choice as well. And the choice is this, real clear. 
Am I going to listen to God or am I going to reject God? Am I going to do as God says or am I going to do as Babylon says? Live for myself. Go for the gusto. It's only, you only go around once. Or am I going to live a life on purpose? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to talk to God about that. See, Belshazzar lived like he had all the time in the world, but the bell rang. I just want to ask you today, based on what you've heard, what is it that you know God's been talking to you about that you've been putting off, that you've been ignoring, that you've been denying, that you've been hiding behind, that you've been refusing to respond to? God wants it. In the open first, so that would be confessing to him. He wants you to come out of hiding. He wants you to say this, you're God and I'm not. And so God, I know that what this thing, whatever it is, this is keeping me from being all I can be for you, that I know right now that I'm living for Babylon, and I've not been willing to give Babylon up. And right now, I just want to say to you, God, that I am turning, repenting of the choices I've been making. I'm turning to you because I want my days that are numbered to matter. I want the things I get to accomplish to be heavy because they bring you glory. And God, I want to be able to live a whole life, not divided. And I'll be sober before you. You may be thinking today, wow, Ron, this is a lot. So I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know God. I just want to say to you, that's maybe what you've been hiding. Is that God's been talking to you. And that's why you're here. He's been reaching to you. He's been calling to you. He's been showing you his love. He's been showing you the possibility of grace. And you've been saying no. And I want to encourage you today to say yes now. Jesus, as much as I understand it, I say yes to you today. I want to receive the forgiveness you made possible on the cross. I have sinned. Oh, Jesus, I want to live for you the rest of my days. And God, I pray for all of us now as we leave, as we contemplate the message, that it would be encouraging, that the encouragement is that life can be full, life can be rich, beyond anything we can imagine, the Bible says when we walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.